This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Okay, Top Tribe, this week's winner of the 100 bucks is Jose Avila. He is a 17-year-old that doesn't want to go to college and he wants to start his own business. For your chance to win 100 bucks, just like Jose, every Monday morning, simply subscribe to this podcast on iTunes right now and then text the word Nathan to 33444 to prove that you did it. Nathan Lackey here. Morning, folks. It's mid-February. I hope you're doing well, hitting all your New Year's goals. And tomorrow, we've got a great guest for you, Sean, who talks about... Uh, Sean Moss-Polt has a very interesting business. It's intrusive. In fact, I sell my my personal, Nathan Lackey's financial data to him live on the podcast. His company is called Bitmark. You won't want to miss that tomorrow. Good morning, folks. Nathan Latke here. Our guest today is none other than Phil Town. He is a two-time New York Times best-selling author, hedge fund manager, and founder of Rule One Investing. He teaches individuals how to take control of their financial future so they don't have to rely on fund managers or financial advisors. Phil, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. Let's go, Nathan. All right. Very good. I'm glad you're on today. I'm looking forward to this. Um, walk, you know, the, the question anyone always asks when I have an author on is they go, Nathan, just make sure the author's actually eating their own dog food. So at the risk of offending you, what makes you qualified to talk about this? Well, you know, by, by New York Wall Street standards, I'm completely unqualified to talk about this, actually. <laughs> Which is better, <laughs> I was right? a river guide. I was a river guide when I started investing and, um, and that would, uh, that would put me off into the uh, you know, the netherworld for, for Wall Street people. And um, secondly, almost the entire rest of the world invest using the concepts of modern portfolio theory, which dominate all training for fund advisors. It's, it, it's, it's what dominates the thinking at the SEC. And in that theory, it says that you can't beat the market. So um, I'm, I'm completely out there, uh, you know, in space as far as New York Wall Street is concerned. But I, I'm anchored to the rest of the world by, you know, the, some of the greatest investors in the world who I'm following and I've been following for 30 years, including uh, Ben Graham, who, who sort of developed the ideas of value investing back in the 30s and 40s, when he made about 22% per year through the Depression and World War II with what amounts to, in today's dollars, a billion dollar fund. And also Warren Buffett, who is his number one disciple, um, and Charlie Munger, who together run Berkshire Hathaway's investing. So I think I'm, I'm, I've got some really good people that I'm following um, that Wall Street hates as, as badly as, as they uh, hate the idea that someone would actually do better on their own than um, putting their money in a fund with those Wall Street guys. And folks, what Phil specifically did is he turned a grand into 1.45 million bucks in five years. Phil, how'd you do it? 
Um, what I did was was follow these basic principles of picking really good companies when they're on sale. So the first thing you have to do is believe that they ever that they ever actually go on sale. Um, and second, I learned to use other people's money as well and build up that um, that fund that I was I was just developing on my own and then gradually built it up with other people's capital, which is the same path that Warren Buffett went down. I mean, when he started, he started with ten thousand dollars and went out and raised money from other people and then invested it. And that's, that's essentially what they do on Wall Street. Um, but the crazy thing is that, you know, I basically found out I could do it myself. And that's, where, that's what allowed me to do all that. Where were you, where are you at, Phil? How much outside capital have you raised in your, in your hedge fund to date? Um, this is all capital coming in from investors. And we're, we're under 100 million, so we're not very large um, by those standards. But what we've started doing recently is simply manage money through separately managed accounts. There's been some really amazing changes on the internet that allow brokerages uh, to manage um, the sale and purchase of stock through a thousand accounts all at once, which didn't exist just a few years ago. So what that allows me to do is basically manage other people's money as well um, that don't have the kind of qualified investing capital that you need for a hedge fund. So we're just cranking that up. And it's really, really been eye opening as we're going into this sort of new world of investing that's full of companies like Betterment and so on, you know. When you reach out to these investors to potentially, you know, raise capital from them, what is your minimum contribution? Is it 50, 100? Um, no, we're, we're at, yeah, well, I say no. Yeah. We're at 50,000 right now and we're trying to get it lower. Okay. Um, so we're hopeful that we can get this down to the people who really need, um, help managing their money and whose choices really are almost none. Um, and the way wall street works is that if you have under a hundred thousand dollars, almost no one's interested in managing your account. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Merrill Lynch put out a note years ago, just saying, look, if don't bother with people who have less than a hundred thousand. It's not worth the trouble. So really the the people that need it the most are getting the least amount of attention from people who know what they're doing and investing. So we're trying to bridge that gap. So Phil, how, how do you beat those? So you have Merrill Lynch up at more than a hundred grand, you know, in your account. And then you have the other side of that and you're kind of in the middle. How do you beat a company like Wealthfront where if the minimum investment of 500 bucks, you're going to basically track the S&P. They're going to do some direct indexing and tax loss harvesting to get you an extra one or two percentage points after tax per year. I mean, how do you beat those kinds of software companies? Well, the first thing to understand is that they run those uh, computer driven, uh, we call them robo advisors, using modern portfolio theory math. Okay. And modern portfolio theory math is what happened to the country in 2008. Um, it's the same math that created the giant meltdown in, in uh, mortgage bonds. It's, it's math that, that Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett both just roll their eyes at because it's such nonsense. Um, and yet it's the only math there is. And so everybody just keeps going. And the basics of what you find when you move, when you move your money over to a robo advisor is that they are going to they're going to pretend that they can use volatility as a, a, a reference point for risk. And then they're going to build a portfolio around the level of risk that you say you're willing to take. And what you'll notice when you get involved with these kinds of advisors, either robo-advisors or actual advisors mostly, is they hand you a little questionnaire and they say, you know, basically, please tell us how much risk you want to take and, and how much return you want to get, which is crazy. I mean, everybody who would fill this out would say, well, I want almost no risk and I want a very high rate of return, but they don't give you that as a possible question. So they pretend that they can build these sort of low risk or high risk portfolios. 
and adjust them for how much money you want to make when it's absolute fantasy. They can't do it. So if you invest in those guys, what you're going to get is, as you say, about whatever the index is. And unfortunately, for the vast majority of people in this country, that's not going to cut it. A 5% return or a 4% return, whatever the index is going to do over the next 20 years, is going to leave an enormous piece of America struggling to survive in retirement. So where, so, where do they put their money then? Your, well, what's then your recommendation? What, you have, what I think you have to do is I think you have to learn how to invest on your own. I think that's the critical thing. See, people don't words, want to, what if people don't want to be an active investor, though? Well, I got to tell you, man, you got a choice, in my view. Basically, you got three things. You can put your money out there and the financial advisors will tell you you're going to make five to seven percent. And that's just simply not going to work. You can do the math. For example, somebody who's 45 years old right now who wants to retire in 20 years is going to need about two and a half million dollars in uh, in retirement capital to make it to 90 years old spending in today's capital, in today's dollars, about 50,000 a year, Nathan. And that, yep. that's no, nobody has that. Okay, so number one, you're not gonna get there if you follow the current advice. Second possibility, you're gonna be an active investor, invest on your own and learn how to do it. And that's, you know, we have 400 people a month coming out here to Atlanta to learn how to do that. So that's that's second choice and you're, you're right. I mean, we have thousands of people a month who come into our, marketing and do determine they don't want to do it. They just say, no, I want to, I want to move on. So then the third choice is you find a financial advisor that knows what they're doing, who invests the way Buffett does, and you put your money with them. But unfortunately, the guys who can really do that are all hedge fund managers managing billions of dollars, and they're not going to take your $50,000. So we're trying to fill that gap. We're trying to step in and see if we can't make that happen. And, I mean, uh, he speaks out, it. Warren speaks out pretty, pretty loudly, though, against putting your money behind a hedge fund. I mean, in, I mean, he has a bet. I don't know if it's with Swenson or Ackman or, or who it's with. Uh, so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that bet he's making? Well, the bet he's making is that an active uh, fund cannot beat the index. Now, of course, Warren, over time, over time. Yeah. And, and of course, it's a bit of a tongue in cheek bet, right? Because 99% of the investors who are out there doing active fund management are doing it with modern portfolio theory. And, and Warren Buffett's bet is that if you use modern portfolio theory, you're going to do the index minus whatever your fees are. All right. Now, remember, this is coming from a guy who has crushed the index for 60 years. I mean, he's got right now, Berkshire Hathaway is right at a 20% per year annual compounded growth rate, which yep. means that if you put in $10,000 back in the 60s, you'd have about $50 million right now. Yep. So he's killed the market. So you can do it. He's just betting that the guys who do modern portfolio theory can't. So for the people that aren't as smart as Warren Buffett, which is the majority of the world, what do they do with their money? If they don't also want to bet it and, and, and put it into one of these hedge funds that might have a hot year and then a down year where a lot of money's lost. Okay. So the first thing you need to understand is that if you're not going to learn how to invest, there's very, very few choices out there. And I, I can't even, I don't, I can't even think of anybody other than us that that's trying to do this for the small investor. So um, I can give you the answer that they, that a lady got from social security department in New Zealand when she said, look, I'm 50 years old and I'm not going to have enough money to retire. What should I do? And the head of New Zealand Social Security Department said, well, what you should do is go out and get a better job and save more money. So 
So that's choice number two, which is a little bit horrible because most people can't do that. And then choice number three, frankly, I, I think you have to learn how to invest. And, and the good news, Nathan, is that it isn't, it, it's re- really simple to invest correctly. I mean, I'll go through the points well, with you if you want me to. There's only about four points. Yeah. Let's say everyone went through the course, right? Your course. They learn how to be yeah. really smart investors. The whole world population. Yeah. In stocks and investing, true or false is a zero-sum game. There has to be winners and losers. Uh, no, that's not true. I don't know where you got that. If someone's but that's, that's not true at all. If someone's tra- futures or, or puts or calls or things like that, there has to be somebody else, someone on the other side of the trade, right? Well, wait a second. Didn't you sell your company? Well, I'm not talking about like my investing in myself, and I'm I'm talking specifically about stocks and equities. Is your program focused not just on traditional investing, but also you know spending money on courses and starting your own businesses and things like that? Oh yeah, this investing is investing. I, I'll tell you, there, there's no difference between investing in a franchise, starting your own company buying public stocks, buying private companies. There's no difference whatsoever. Investing is simply buying something that you understand for less than it's worth. That's so, investing. So what, which sector, sorry, I might've been on the kind of on the wrong pillar here. What sector are you focused on helping people invest in themselves or helping them invest in stocks or helping them, you know, where do you focus? Now our number one focus is helping people learn to invest doing their own active investing. And then those people who want us to help them because they're learning and that that process is going to take them some time, then we'll manage their money. Active investing though in what? In stocks or in starting their own businesses or real estate? It, it doesn't matter. We, I start off the whole course on Friday morning with real estate because real estate is an investment that most people understand. They have a pretty good grip on it because they live in a piece of real estate. So the idea of buying a house, for example, isn't such a foreign thing as going in and buying shares of Chipotle Grill. So we start off right there with how do you buy real estate? And when you look at the the investors that we copy, the guys that taught me, those investors, who are they? They they do all that's Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Um, I, I love watching David Einhorn. I love watching um, a number of investors that are running hedge funds, I think are really, really good. There's probably a couple of dozen of them, but the main guy, if you wanted to just study this on your own, would have to be Warren Buffett, right? In real estate? And Buffett's one of the best real estate investors around. Absolutely fabulous investor in real estate. He bought a building in New York City uh, not too long ago near NYU. He bought a farm operation out uh, near Omaha. Um, the guy owns 60 or 70 private companies. So there's there's no difference. It's a fallacy to think that, oh, there's public stock investing and then there's the rest of the world. Not true. I, I have one of well, our I mean, students- there's a lot of people that are really great real estate investors and they do real estate 24-7, but they couldn't hold their own if they tried to invest in stocks. That's right, because the whole concept is that you have to understand the business that you're in, the business that you're buying as an investor. And people, as I said, become very comfortable with real estate because they think they can judge whether it will go up in the long run. And that's the essence of investing is you're looking at buying into a company like Chipotle Mexican Grill. You've got to have a view that says that, you know what, I'm going to put my money in here and 20 years from now, this is going to be worth a lot more than it's worth today or John Deere tractor, or you name it. And that's the essence of a good investment is you look at it, oh, the house next door, is it gonna be worth more in 20 years? Yeah, probably will be. So therefore I have, if I buy into that, I have a free lottery ticket. I'm paying money. I know I'm gonna get my money back at a minimum. And if things work out, this might be worth a lot down the road. That's an investment. 
everything else is just absolute speculation. And that's what most people are doing with their 401ks. They're speculating. Would you consider Ackman's investment in Chipotle a speculation or would you tie it back to what you just said, which is it's a thing where he knows he's at a, at a, at a, at the worst case scenario, he's going to get his money back. Yeah. Bill's not much of a speculator. He's a pretty active manager. He gets in there and tries to make management work better, but he doesn't buy things that he thinks he's going to lose money on. Um, well, nobody buy- would, obviously. I mean, no, people do it all the time, man. What do you mean? Nobody would. Why would people- somebody, why would somebody buy something that they truly believe is going to lose money? No, they, they buy things all the time where they know they're going to lose some of them. That's the essence of speculation. That's what happens when you go play 20 blackjack in, in Las Vegas. You, you hope you win more than you lose. That's what we call trading. So when I'm doing options trading, for example, which is fundamental, I think, to good investing these days, particularly this market, I know I'm going to lose some investments. I just don't know which ones, right? Some, some trades I'm going to lose. But when I invest in something, I don't expect to lose at all. Right. So would you, again, my question goes back to like David specifically or Bill, sorry, Ackman, you know, he's making these investments. You think in his pro forma where he's projected this thing out and all the research he's done, there's not a scenario where he loses money on this. Well, there's always a scenario where the sun doesn't come up tomorrow, right? I mean, I think that always happens. That's why I asked that question, right? Like real estate, even when I think, wow, this thing's going to have a return on equity of 40% and an ROI of 70% in year one. But you know what? If the roof roof breaks and I didn't project that and the home inspection didn't show it, I could still lose money, even if I truly believed at the beginning it was going to be a great investment. Yeah, but if you were careful about real estate, you probably, and you didn't use any uh, leverage, you're probably going to still come out okay if you buy it right. It's the leverage part that gets you in trouble. And that's the same thing with companies. So Chipotle Mexican Grill has no leverage. They're, they have no debt whatsoever. So at a certain price, and I don't, I don't know that I agree necessarily with Bill on his price, but I can tell you, you know, he thinks it's you know, absolutely worth five, $600 a share, and he's buying it at $400. Um, th- this guy thinks at that price, that's a super fair price, and it should do well over the next 20 years, given what he knows about the business. And that's the essence of a good real estate investment, right? Uh, yeah, I, what I'm trying to get to, what I'm trying to understand from you and learn from you is when people, if people thought when they were going into any investment, starting their own business, going trading a stock, putting money in Vanguard, whatever the you define investment however you want, if they believe they were actually going to lose money on the thing, they wouldn't do it. Now, if they were going to invest like a VC and say, I need to invest in at least. 100 companies, I know I'm going to lose on 99 and win on one, right? And the one's going to make up the 99. They know that math works. They truly believe that otherwise they wouldn't do in the beginning. They don't know which one's going to be the winner and they know they're going to lose some. So that's where I'm trying to get to you to get back to what your kind of main teaching is, is, is how can you kind of apply a single rule or framework to all these different investment strategies, which I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, I believe that's what you're, what you're teaching, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So what, what is that? What is that one rule? Okay. So the one rule is don't lose money. And I know that sounds like it's, I'm being facetious, but I'm not. That's the essence. I mean, Buffett said there's only two rules of investing. Rule number one, don't lose money. And rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And what that means is that the driving force behind the investment in anything you do out there, your own company, a piece of real estate, a public stock, is to look at this thing and say, Am I going to lose money on this? Is there, is there a way this can lose money? And the, the, we go through basically a four-step process that says, number one, am I capable of understanding this business? Do I get it down to my bones, right? Number two, does this business have some sort of protective 
characteristic, something intrinsic to the business that keeps competition away. Like in a piece of real estate, it's location. Number three, is this run by people that have integrity? And number four, am I buying this at a big discount to its real value? In other words, if I think this thing is worth $100 and I can buy it for $50, I have a very high degree of certainty that I'm going to make money. So to me, an investment would be like one of our students buys mink coats at, at uh, garage sales and, and flea markets. And she knows that she's looking at a $6,000 red fox, politically incorrect mink coat that this person is getting rid of for $300. And she knows she can sell that on eBay in three days for a thousand bucks. So that's an investment. That's, Unless, that's what we target. And that's do what you, Ackman's doing. Yeah. But I mean, all the like, so I'm going to go to your red minking example. Unless the second G puts in a car, she gets in an accident on the freeway, it turns into a fire and the coat's gone. Or it, it, eBay bans her account because she was did too much revenue that month. Or, I mean, my point is like, if sure, everyone... you're right. No, 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 like no, no. I'll jump in. You're right. I, I'm how do you handle... I'm gonna, how do you handle... I'm going to acknowledge that there is going to be handle, stuff that happens. How do you handle imperfect planning, right? Because that's the key. I mean, anyone's going to go into investment and stress test it where things don't happen right like the 08 meltdown i mean i mean geithner was trying to get these banks to stress test at levels that they it wasn't they said it wasn't even worth their time to stress test at well sure enough it went about 10 times what they, he was trying to push them to test it at so like the trick is like going in how do you make i mean i don't think the right answer to this so this is why i'm i'm digging here to see if you maybe have one based off of your experience how do you know that your planning is perfect well, you don't know your planning is perfect, and therefore you have to have a big discount on the values that you're purchasing. Well, a discount because is a part your of plan, though, can right? Be, can be bad, right? Phil, is that right? The discount is part of the plan. Let's say you did great and amazing planning. You said, I think this is worth 100 bucks. Okay, now I think I might be wrong on something. And I say, okay, my discount at 50%. That, I feel really good about that. That's That 50% assumption is another assumption right on top of the plan. So even if, if the initial plan is wrong, and maybe you didn't discount enough, maybe you didn't discount enough, uh, maybe you discounted too much. How do you How do you help people get their minds around that? No, I'll tell you where the, where the real problem comes from is, is that you, you probably are going to get your values right if you're buying things that you understand, like mink coats and houses next door. What you're going to, where you're going to miss out on is where, where we usually end up with trouble is that the management team, whoever's running it, turned out to be a bunch of greedy bastards. And then, then you can get in trouble because they can do things that you don't, they shouldn't do, and they do it for their own benefit, and they do it at your expense. And that's almost impossible to say for sure that you're dealing, particularly in public companies, actually, that you're dealing with people who have integrity. Um, I mean, we have been burned in the past for sure, Nathan, and where we really thought we had a great investment. And the lower the price on the investment went, the more we wanted to buy it, and we bought more, and the management team screwed us purple. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you, man, that, that, that you can't count for, except to just not have all the eggs in one basket. You know, that, yep. that we can do. Guys, Phil's got payback time. He's got rule number one. Phil, give us a real quick a sense of size. When were the, both these books published? So the book came out in uh, 2005, and then the second one came out in 2010, and we just signed a deal with HarperCollins to have another one come out in 2018. So Congratulations. we spread them out a bit. Yeah, thanks. That's great. 
Okay, Top Tribe, as many of you know, I sold Heyo, and everyone is always asking me what my expenses were when I was building Heyo. Well, a big expense was that I spent over three grand per month on financial services to keep me out of trouble in terms of taxes. You know, my mom would always harbor me, Nathan, you gotta keep all your receipts and put them in a freaking box or something to make sure you don't get an audit or things like this. I'm like, mom, I'm a millennial. You think I'm gonna keep all these receipts? I now use FreshBooks. I use their mobile app to take a picture of receipts and it makes taxes a cinch. Additionally, I don't have to hire a $3,000 per month person to manage all my finances. It's like saving so much money and my mom's happy. Additionally, I don't waste a bunch of time creating invoices. I use their templates and I can avoid using Word templates or Excel files. I just use FreshBooks to quickly send out invoices and it works like a charm. To get your free first month, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Guys, Phil's got payback time. He's got rule number one. Phil, give us a real quick a sense of size. When were the, both these books published? So the book came out in uh, 2005, and then the second one came out in 2010, and we just signed a deal with HarperCollins to have another one come out in 2018. So congratulations, we them out a bit. Yeah, thanks. That's great. Um, how many how many uh, books have you sold to date? Uh, 400 and some thousand. So there you guys have it. I can hit Phil as hard as I possibly can on this podcast, but you know what? Numbers don't lie. There's half a million people that have bought his books, study his stuff, check Phil out. <laughs> I was being contrarian on purpose. I think it helped pull out some good lessons from Phil based off his experience. Phil, let's wrap up here with the famous five. First one, what's your fate besides your own? What's your famous favorite business book? Uh, it's got to be Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. Came out in 1949. It's a perennial bestseller. It's about it's about a quarter of an inch thick, and he he summarized everything that he had learned about being a value investor, about how you find things that are on sale. Warren Buffett wrote a great appendix to it, so that's my favorite one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying currently? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's two. Obviously, Warren Buffett's the one, and people forget he's the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. He writes a letter every year, and he's got them all the way back to 1977 on his website, BerkshireHathaway.com. And if you want an education and, and great investing, just read those letters. They're phenomenal. Number three, Phil, do you have a favorite online tool that you use every day? Yeah, my favorite online tool is just keeping track of all of my stuff uh, that that I do when I'm doing research on companies. I do a lot of digging and I turn, you know, I, I want to create uh, something that I can look at back at it over time. So I use a thing called Evernote, yep. which I like. Number four, yes or no, do you get eight hours of sleep every night? You know, I actually actually come really close to that. And when I don't get eight hours of sleep, I don't know, for some reason, the way my body works is the next night I'll get 10. So, yeah, I really do go for that. You got a good body. What's your situation? You married, single, you have kids? Yeah, I'm married. I got lots of kids. We got two girls, two boys. They're all grown up and out there doing it. And, uh, yeah, I'm really happily married. Uh, love my life right now. That's great, Phil. And how old are you? I am 68 years old. Oh, man. I would have never freaking guessed. That's amazing. Take us back <laughs> 48 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Oh my gosh, man. I wish my 20 year old self knew that the, uh, the United States of America will put us into wars that suck. <laughs> and, and you don't want to necessarily be a crazy over testosterone kid that thinks the war will be an adventure. I, I was in Vietnam just shortly after I was 20. And I, I got to tell you, man. Were you, oh, you um, were serving? Yeah, I oh, was. Thanks for your service. Uh, you're welcome, man. I just tell you, I think what we should all do is make sure that nobody sends our guys to war unless their kids go first. 
Yeah, hey, that's, you know, get your incentive structures right, right? <laughs> All right. So again? I said, yeah. hey, you got to get incentives and carrots and sticks in the right spot. That's a great way to uh, get a, get those in place for uh, the decision to go to war or not. I'm with you, man. All right, Top Tribe. There you have it from Phil Town. Almost 500,000 copies sold of his books, Payback Time. Big rule number one, new one coming out in 2018. Learned a lot of lessons, and he's doing this all while, again, managing an amazing family, four kids, happily married, focused on value investing, and big Warren Buffett fan. Phil, thank you for taking us to the top. Nathan, you rock. Thanks. What an episode. If you enjoyed Phil today, go back and listen to Neil DeSena yesterday of Santa Hill Partners. Santa Hill transacted 200 million in 2016 transactions. They're very active in the financial technology space. So if you're interested in fintech, you don't want to miss that episode. Neil gives us seven predictions for 2017 fintech. Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money. HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Okay, Top Tribe, I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. And don't forget, before you listen to any other episodes, subscribe on iTunes right now for your chance to win 100 bucks every Monday.